Thrive Leadership Podcast in three, two, cue music. This is the Thrive Leadership Leadership Podcast. Podcast. It's a place to connect you to nationally acclaimed leaders, their insights, and ideas on how to help you thrive in every area of your life. life. On today's episode, Danielle Strickland. What is the church good at? Well, we're good at gathering. You know, we're great at inspiring people, right? And if we could just be strategic, you know, if exploiters can be smart enough to target girls at 12 years old, so can the church. Now your hosts, Brad Lominick and CJ Alvarado. Welcome back to the Thrive Leadership Podcast. Yes. I am your host, Brad Lominick, alongside the bearded man <laughs> and well caffeine today. We are highly caffeinated this CJ morning. CJ Alvarado. What are you drinking over there, buddy? I've got a uh, mocha. A mocha. Yes. And I'm, I'm drinking an Americano. You're going with a little sugar this morning. You're going with the sugary stuff. I'm, I'm sort of a, uh, I, I keep it real and I right. keep it like to a minimal terms of the amount of calories in my caffeinated drink. That's good. Yeah, but I do like the mocha. I like to taste the mocha. Yeah, these guys make a good mocha. We're here at uh, Thrive Conference. Mm-hmm. We're, we're sitting in the, whatever this room is, the very wooded room. Right. The Thrive Conference has been going on. Really, the I would say the foundation of the Thrive brand and what for many years was the one actual product of Thrive, which was this conference. And it's uh, it continues to grow. It continues to, to bring in the best of the best. It continues to galvanize this community, this network of churches and pastors and leaders. Yeah. So it's exciting to be here. It is, man. I mean, I think that, you know, obviously people want their organizations, they want their churches to thrive. But I think more and more people, Brad, are going, we also want to enjoy life. We want to have a happier life, a happier ministry. The journey itself, they would like to enjoy. And so healthy leadership is part of the goal. We're waving the flag for healthy leaders and thriving churches. We're not trying to celebrate one without the other. Again, we're trying to champion both of those things. And we think it can happen, and it's really exciting to see it is happening. Well, and if you're listening for the first time, welcome aboard the ship. Mm -hmm. If you're now on the voyage with us for several episodes, thanks for being part of the voyage so far. (laughs) Hopefully you're getting used to our voices, you're getting used to what we're trying to do here, which is inspire and educate, inform and challenge, as well as instruct you on how to be a better leader. Yeah. And so CJ and I are your, are your uh, we're, we're like, who was the captain on the love boat? <laughs> Stooping, Captain Stooping. Yeah. Stoopy. Stooping. Stooping. You're, you're too young for this, Bro, aren't you? I remember the Come love on. boat. Yeah. I remember that piece, but I don't remember the show. Everybody out there who grew up in the love boat, go ahead and raise your hand right now in virtual world. I'm raising my hand. No one's raised their hand. Love the love boat. Fantasy Island. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Gilligan's Island. Gilligan's Island. I'm giving you some some old schools. We're going off track here, but how did the doctor from Gilligan's Island couldn't get off an island, but the dude could make radios? He could make all kinds of stuff. I never got that. It was was one of the most frustrating parts of my childhood was (laughs) was trying to figure out the... He could make a radio out of coconut, (laughs) but the dude couldn't get him off an island. Yeah, professor. Professor, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing, man. We got got the house that had all the money, Mm -hmm. but yet they still can't, you know. Nobody's looking for the house. Exactly. I guarantee you somebody. can charter a boat and find the house. I guarantee you somebody was, if if that would have been real, somebody would have found them and got the old reward money. Sure. Insurance money or something. I don't know. Anyway, we Well, we are excited to have you on the ship here, on the cruise ship Mm -hmm. called the Thrive Leadership Podcast. And in this episode, we're going to be setting down for an interview with Daniel Strickland. Yes. One of the, uh, I, I would say, the carriers mm. of the social justice flag right now among our generation. And she is uh, a longtime part of the Salvation Army. She is from Canada, spent many years in Canada. She grew up there, and now she lives in L.A. 
and really focusing on social justice, on the marginalized, on lifting, especially young girls out of both poverty as well as out of trafficking. And Danielle's one of those people that when she talks about stories of justice, most of the time she's in them, meaning that she's actually the one living this out. She's not just talking about it from an academic perspective or from the ivory tower. I mean, when, when she says it, she knows what she's talking about. Very true. She sheds lights on three things for me that's kind of interesting. First, she kind of like breaks down the whole Salvation Army thing. I always thought, I mean, if I was just honest, they're the ones at the grocery store Ring around the holidays or yeah. something, right? And that was about it. So it's really insightful to hear her, you know, break that open a little bit. The second thing was just why organizations and people are able to maybe glaze over to some of the major issues that are happening, the social injustices that are happening and what you can do about that. And then third, just as she got a tattoo, bro, on stage, which you're going to hear all about. You yes. have to listen to this show. So it's pretty funny. Yeah. And if you haven't heard of her, which many of you probably have not heard of Danielle Strickland, stay tuned because you're going to be inspired by this interview, this conversation. And then what we want to do, and we'll talk about this after we come back out of the interview, is ways for your church, your organization, you as a leader to actually get involved and do something about some of the things that Danielle is challenging us on. So... Let's jump now to our conversation with Danielle Strickland. We were marveling at your uh, tat on your left arm. Yes. Which is a strong indication of your cool factor. <laughs> but tell us the or story. Or try too hard factor. We were, we were about to get it's always in. Yeah, a well, fine it line. It's always a fine line. And we'll get into your story. But tell us the story of the tattoo on your left arm because you were about to get into that before we hit record. It is an emerging story. So it's kind of telling a whole story. But it started just with this song that kind of captured my attention. It was a song written by the founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth, and it's a song called O Boundless Salvation. And I really wanted my life to live out the song. And so that's what I was kind of talking about at this youth convention. It was a Salvation Army convention, about 3,000 young people in New Zealand, Australia, and Fuji came together and had this big party. And so I was trying to figure out, like, what's a way that I could really effectively communicate that? And I thought, I know, I'll get the song tattooed on my arm while my husband and I were preaching together. So I was like, while we're preaching together. And so I just brought the, it actually took me nine tattoo parlors to get a tattoo artist who was willing to come to a Christian no conference. No like way. every time I said it was a Christian conference, they're like, I'm not interested. <laughs> every time. And then finally the ninth time. And I remember, you know, how somebody, when you're speaking, somebody's assigned to you to take you around mm. and stuff. So this, this uh, Salvation Army officer, like really nice, like my mother kind of like in uniform. And she was taking me to these tattoo parlors. And I know every time she went in, she'd be like, oh my, oh my. The whole. And then finally the ninth one, I was just like, are you just chicken? Like, are you too chicken to come mm. to a Christian conference with me? And he was like, I'm not chicken. So he finally came. Use the old, the, 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 yep. the standby. Yeah, That's right. I just, I was yeah. down double, to like double, the double wire dare. and I just was like, fine, I'm going to dare you to do it. Yeah. So he just came and when it was time to speak, I just said, just come on the stage with me. And he set up a little folding table and plugged in and. Boom. We just did it. Were you tattooed you on stage? Yeah, it was awesome. That's you were amazing. standing there or were you sitting down? I was or? sitting down and my hand was here. And then I, so I had a mic in my other hand and I was speaking when I could. And so, I mean, the things about living a song like a covenanted life is kind of the idea that we were talking is covenanting your life. So that's like making a permanent decision, like covenant's permanent. It's literally cut in blood. Covenant. Mm. I mean, the original o Old Testament version of covenant, the first one, Abraham, I mean, it's a cutting in blood. So, I mean, there's just so many things about the covenant, the forever, the living this larger purpose than your own life. It was so well symbolized in a tattoo. It was fun. Plus, what a great story. every parent... Great story 
in the region hated me. Of course. And yeah. uh, every just, kid loved me. Every kid loved me. So, you know, it, there was that. For those who don't know um, your story, take us back maybe a little bit and, and give us some context for who you are, what you're doing now, where you're living. Sure. My story kind of has kind of some layers to it, as most stories do. But the first of the stories is that my parents were both um, orphaned kind of children. So my mom was in foster care. My dad was sold illegally as a baby into this like really bad um, circumstances. And both of them in different towns in Canada, the Salvation Army was knocking on doors in poor neighborhoods intentionally looking for vulnerable children to say, hey, you, you want to come to our after school club or whatever it is. And they found them both that way. And they both found the Salvation Army. They both kind of testify to finding home. So I grew up in this home that really, you know, the Salvation Army was our grandparents. I mean, it was literally, it was where we're from. It wasn't just tribal. It was like family. Mm. And, um, and that idea that, you know, it's never too late, never too hard. And this, like, we're for the underdogs. You know, that ethos in my family was just to the point of in, in Canada, you know, it's religious to watch uh, National Hockey League, you know, on Monday nights, Monday nights, hockey night in Canada. And so, I mean, it's religious, like, and not to be stereotypical, but everyone does it. <laughs> and so I remember we'd be watching, I'd come in and say, Dad, you know, who are we cheering for? And most Canadians would, like anyone, would have a team, you know, that you're rooting for and you're always rooting for this team. And my family, I'd come in and say, who are we cheering for? And my dad would say, well, these guys are the ones who are the underdog. And we always cheered for the underdog, which I thought was just normal until I met normal people. And I realized, oh, that's like, that's a really beautiful kind of ethos that I grew up in always cheering for the underdog, you know, it's possible every single mm -hmm. time. So I grew up in that environment and kind of, I feel like a lot of my shaping of justice and mercy and even Salvation Army uh, comes from that. And then fast forward to the gap between growing up there yeah. and now today. So I've been an officer in the Salvation Army for 22 years. So that's an ordained minister, mostly doing church plants among lower socioeconomic places. And a lot of that time spent trying to get women out of prostitution and out of sex trafficking. So in different contexts, kind of around the globe. Right now, I'm in Los Angeles. I'm what they call a social justice secretary, which is they asked me to come and start a social justice department to kind of help create uh, more advocacy and social justice-minded activities in the Western part of the states. When you talk about the Salvation Army, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people know it from one vantage point. Right. Which is many at times... at Christmas. Yes, at yeah. Christmas. Right. Uh, it's very visible. Mm -hmm. But talk about some of the things that you see organizationally that you're proud of, that you do well, that even yeah. organizational leadership stuff that you would say, hey, if we could pass this on to other leaders, yeah. this is something we found to be really effective. Yeah, some stuff the Salvation Army does well. I mean, it's global, like, even thought process. Like, it really is... I mean, it's still centrally... Like, in some ways, it's archaic as an organization. It's still centrally organized, so and it's hierarchical, which those two things are kind of like the Catholic military. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> right, what yeah. just happened? Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. So in some ways, and, you know, one of the things I, I often describe the Salvation Army, I think it's the mystery of the church in America. I really don't. I think people know of the Salvation Army, but mm -hmm. don't know the Salvation Army. So yeah. a lot of times the stories that I share, people are like, what? And I, I kind of define us as like the platypus of the church. You know, the platypus kind of keeps everybody mystified because it's uh, and categorical. So is it a mammal? Yes. Is it a fish? Yes. 
does it really have a duck beak? Yes, it does. Does it come out at night? Like, you know, so everyone's like, what is it? And in the end, like even scientists, they just say it's just a platypus. Like they don't, it's uncategorical. It has its own category. And I feel like that's kind of like, are we a church? Yes. Like born in a revival sort of movement. So like crazy church, Jesus, fire, Holy Spirit stuff. And then are we a social service agency? Yeah. And I mean, lots of people, you know, so if you're in the church camp, you're like, no, we're not. But you are, like we are, like we're one of the biggest providers of social services in America, right, next to the Red Cross. So so I just think, yes, we are a church, and we're just uncategorical. And somehow living in that tension uh, actually brings about the best possibilities, I think. So a lot of, that's often the tension in the Salvation Army, is if you lean too far into social services, you're basically the government. You lean too far into church, and you've basically missed this calling that God gave you to reach the marginalized. So it's kind of this, like, held tension. And I feel like we hold the tension fairly well. Um, so evidence in America, you know, the Croc, Mrs. Croc's donation, which was, like, the largest donation in the history of charity work mm-hmm. up until last year, I think. And if you've watched the Founder movie, it'll talk about it at the end. So it's a $1.6 billion or something. And it was a big controversy in the Salvation Army, you know, because it was tied, the money was tied to these croc centers that they were supposed to do. And the croc centers are these community centers, like YMCA style. And of course, the tension is that we're not the YMCA. You know, Mm -hmm. we're not like a small C Christian. We're a big C Christian. Mm -hmm. We're not losing our Jesus-focused, intentional uh, life, or we won't actually land in transformation, which is what we're after. So I feel like that, so the debate was really good for everybody. Like, how are we going to do this? So um, this is kind of, I feel like a really great success story for the Salvation Army in America so far is they put churches, so every croc center has a church in the center of it. Hmm. And they're new plants. So they're new Salvation Army church plants, the center of a community center. Hmm. And that's just part of the way they've been created. And so you'll see, so this is only like a decade, you know, within this decade, these have all started. So there's 37 of them, I think, across America. So massive, you know, multi-million dollar facilities reaching the community with new churches at the center of them. And I was at a Salvation Army gathering where they send their ministers, like new ministers out into the world to do the work. And there were, I want to say a dozen new ministers from Croc Centers. Wow. So I was pretty impressed. I was sitting there yeah. going, okay, just wait a second. Those are all first generation, you know, churches. Those are brand new churches in needy communities at the center of community centers that are actually raising up disciples that are now leaders sent out into. So, I mean, that's, I don't, I'm not sure that we really comprehend um, how exciting that is, but that's really exciting. It is an interesting, not tension point, but intersection of old, as you're saying, not archaic, but yeah. Traditional, yeah, mm. old-fashioned, combined leadership. with innovation, right, and sort of bubbling up new opportunity, right, from marketplace connections and foundation. I mean, with, yeah. for those who aren't familiar with the Croc family, that's the McDonald's, McDonald's money, yes. yeah, Ray Croc. Yes. Wow, I didn't, I didn't know that story. I didn't know the connection point of these new centers popping up. Yeah, really cool. Danielle, I'm curious. Like in today's day and age, we have it seems like a, well, we do have a 24-hour news cycle. It seems impossible to just not see how much need there is Mm -hmm. around the world all the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about your take just on how do churches, you know, navigate all the stuff that Mm -hmm. they've got going, all the stuff they see, and and what is your word maybe Mm -hmm. to those pastors and leaders that are listening in terms of investment of their own time, resources, and 
why they should do it. I think a couple things. One is I think information fatigue only happens when you're not engaged. So because, you, you know, when you're actually engaged in ministry to the marginalized, it's invigorating. It's not that it's not tiring. It's tiring and people need to get rested and stuff, but it's invigorating. It's literally like faith giving. <laughs> so, you know, we used to run just recently, a couple of years ago, we ran this ministry to women on the streets and we just ran, we didn't have any money. And I and actually, I kept saying to God, like, where's the money? You know, like a Jerry Maguire, show, show me, me the, the money. money. <laughs> and God was like, no, you don't need money for this work. And as a matter of fact, if you think about the exchange of prostitution and what it is, the last thing you want to do is pay people to care for prostituted women in mm. some respects, mm. because it's an exchange, it's a money exchange, which is the very thing happening that's exploitative. So it felt like a divine kind of strategy. Like I actually, what we need are people who are giving freely because they love the women, not doing it out of a duty or an exchange, a money exchange. So, and I, I didn't realize that till later, but I, in the midst of that frustration, like, show, how am I going to do this? You yeah. know, um, he started bringing all these volunteers from very successful suburban churches. So, I mean, I would be speaking at a lot of major conferences in Canada, and that was part of my frustration as I'd be speaking to this conference and everyone would be like, oh, that's amazing, you love the poor, and then I'd be like, no money, you know, all this outreach opportunity and no capacity to do it. I'd be like, what's happening? <laughs> and, um, and anyway, what started happening was these women started to volunteer. And I mean, they're like scared, they're coming from like, you know, they're wondering about, you know, the quality of their latte. And now, you know, I'm trying to train them in, like, how not to catch hep C, you know, when you're treating an abscess wound mm -hmm. on the streets of, you know, like. And so it's this is like a big shift, right? But what happened was they came out on these volunteer shifts and, like, it's like their lives changed. Like, they, this is them testifying. Like, mm -hmm. I never knew I was, it was possible that I could be involved in something so meaningful. You know, I remember this one lady, she's like retired, 68-year-old, like comes from this really high-class family. And her kids are like, what are you doing out on the streets? And like her adult children were like, what are you doing? Like, we're worried about your mental health, you know? And because she would come home at like 3 o'clock in the morning and she'd take a shower, you know, just to kind of get the filth <laughs> off of her, which, I, by the way, everybody did. And... Um, um, and we would, you, you know, she'd get home and she'd take a shower and, and her kids would be like, you're tired today. You know, the next day, you're tired today. Like it was three o'clock. Like, what are you doing? You know, and she'd just be like, I'm living like a great life. That's her, the highlight of her week was the day that she, and we had ended up having so many volunteers that we, we went out every night, like seven nights is still going seven nights a week, you know, from 9 PM to 3 AM. And you have, you can only volunteer if you're from a suburban church, you can only volunteer once a month because we have so many volunteers. Wow. My latest strategy before I left there was to start charging people to volunteer. <laughs> it's so to help fund our ministry, right? Like, come with us, we'll give you an adventure that you, you know, yeah. you, money can't buy, you know, right. but $20 will help. So, so I just, I, I think for me, it was a really like eye opener experience because what I realized is we were helping women on the street, which is what I was called to do. But I didn't realize that that calling is related to this discipleship calling, which is to every church and every, so I would say, you know, if you're looking for ways of activating your faith, like ways of discipling people and following Jesus, ways of helping people get out of this narcissistic, self-focused faith, and even church, you know, that's designed around what's best for us, you know. And you want to get them into this, like, larger place of faith and discovery of their place in the world and their capacity, reach the marginalized. 
Love it. Lead them there. That's that's what that will do. Is it will, and so I had a bunch of women's ministry directors call me up um, and say like, "What are you doing to my women?" Like it, it literally was sure. revitalizing uh, those churches. It was really beautiful. Can we talk about your one of your new initiatives called Brave? Yeah, which is really exciting and and at the cutting edge of so many things that we need to be a part of. But tell us the idea behind this. Yeah, because there's a lot of leaders who are probably listening that would say. I want to be part of that. I want to help. I want to contribute. I want to be on the on the train. Yeah. Brave, I think, was conceived um, before I understood it in the back of a massage parlor, which was a brothel. And we ran uh, chaplaincies. To, we still do run chaplaincies to brothels, women vulnerable of trafficking and stuck in sexual exploitation. And I struck up this really unusual friendship with um, a madam. And she's, you know, ran three different brothels in the city and really big advocate for sex workers' rights and, you know, the church is the enemy and stuff. And then somehow we became friends. It was awesome. And I'm literally, we're on the same mayor's councils and she's like, more sex workers. And I'm like, shut them all down. And then we'd like yell and scream it out. And then after I'm like, you want to go for lunch? And she's like, yeah, I'd love to. You know, like <laughs> it was awesome. By the way, can we send you to Washington, D.C. to bring some of that unifying <laughs> no. conversation? I probably <laughs> couldn't to, to do it there. one section that needs it works yes. with women. But okay. anyway, that was a free was one good. for yeah. listeners. Okay. <laughs> that was just, I just threw that fired. out there for free. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we had this guy, she's showing me these renovations she's made in this brothel, which, and it's an awkward moment because I'm complimenting her in like her, this amazing redecorating facility of like more exploitation, you know? So it was like this awkward thing. But anyway, at the end, we're in this back room together. And I mean, she's like ruthless, strong woman. And I said to her, you know, it struck me on the tour that, you're one of the strongest, most innovative, most talented women I know. What are you doing this for? And first she got really quiet, and I realized that she probably never, ever heard that before, right? So that's number one. But then she turned to me and she said, you know, when I was 12, I couldn't take it anymore. I was being raped every day by my stepdad. And she said, I ran away from home, and I was walking up this strip right where the massage parlor was. I was walking up the strip and a truck pulled over and a guy offered um, if I would have sex with him to give me a, a, some food and a place to sleep. And she said, I cried the whole time. I cried the whole time the next day. I cried the whole time the next day. And she said, soon I realized I had to help myself. And she said, and I worked my way all the way to here. And then I'll never forget, she looked at me and her eyes filled with tears. She's like the hardest woman you'll meet, filled with tears. And she said to me, where were you when I was 12? And that was a question I just couldn't shake. You know, and I mean, I've heard a lot of stories and I've had a lot of encounters, but I just couldn't shake the question. It was literally like echoing in my mind. And I could actually recall in that one moment all the stories that I had heard over all the years I've been doing this with the same details. And we came across some studies that suggest, you know, 80% of sex trafficking victims from America are from the foster care system. And the average age of entry into sex uh, work, apparent work, it's not work, it's exploitation, is 14 years of age. So all these things just kind of started adding up. And um, I accidentally ran into a local pastor in, in Long Beach, and they had the same sort of feeling. And they had started this local program where they gathered vulnerable girls. And it was basically with this idea of empowering them, saying, like, first, we see you. You're not invisible. We believe in you. You can do this thing, and we'll help you. You're not alone. Those are kind of the three aspects that make it a strategic thing. And as soon as I went into that building to see that local, it's just a small local program, I realized it was a key 
you know, it was literally, it was just like, you know, when the moment when the penny drops and you're just like, oh, and I could see that. Where were you when I was 12? And then I could also see this like church, you know, what is the church for? What is the church good at? Well, we're good at gathering, you know, we're great at inspiring people, right? That's our modus operandi. And if we could just be strategic, you know, if exploiters can be smart enough to target girls at 12 years old, so can the church. So the Brave campaign is this idea of empowering the local church to gather, inspire, and connect vulnerable girls. And actually, in these days, all our girls are vulnerable because of the way that the world works and the sex industry um, works. But to gather and, and to inspire and then to connect them to prevent human trafficking. Wow. Okay, so there's a part of me that goes, this is sensitive type of stuff. Surely you have to have you have to go through all kinds of hoops to get trained and even be able to help. I mean, or is this something where you're seeing anybody, like normal people in churches can get involved and start making an impact? I mean, how how does that look? Well, first, I've never met a normal person in a church. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. (laughs) Touche. Yeah, so basically, Brave Campaign begins with an event. So a local church hosts an event for girls, a catalytic event, we call it, for girls. It's what I would call entry-level And it's not where it ends, it's just where it begins. And that's one of the things I think happens even, I mean, the church knows there's a foster care crisis. We know that, we've been convicted about that. And sort of, that's what happens is we get a little paralyzed because we go, okay, we go from zero to like a hundred, which is like, be a foster parent, you know, which is like, ah! (laughs) And like, you know, five years later, you might be ready, you know? And so I feel like Brave is like step one, step two, step three, and then through Brave, so you might volunteer, there will be a training now necessary for, you know, safe from harm and things like that to make sure that our girls are safe. But step one is like you go through this couple hour of training to volunteer at an event that your church hosts for girls, you know. And then step two is you might volunteer then to be part of a support group that keeps going on after Brave. And step three is you might actually feel like, because now that you know and you've seen these girls who are awesome and you thought they were like terrible, horrible people because you've got this invisible, you know, veil of fear, and then you go, oh, hey, we could do respite for them. Like we could have them once and you, you start doing a safe family thing. And then from safe families, you think actually maybe we could have somebody in our home. And that, like, so I just feel like Brave is a catalyst. It's not the end, but it's a beginning. And you had Mariner's Church, which a lot of listeners would be familiar with in yeah. Orange County. That Yeah, so Mariner's Church is just, I really like them. They're amazing. And they're all over this foster care thing for a long time. And that's a great example. So they're kind of looking at how to get people from zero to hero. You know, like that's a big, big step. So they just were all, as soon as they heard, they're like, that makes total sense. I mean, you think like a church like Mariner's that can just put on a a mind-blowing event just for fun. You know, I mean, they're just going to do, because that's what they do. They do events every Sunday (laughs) and Saturday. And so they got behind it. So we hosted an event. So a thousand girls came. And I mean, it was off the charts amazing. Um, you know, the, all the Girl Guide troops came. They actually have this brave badge you can get. So the Brave campaign, you know, connected with the badge. We had an MMA fighter who shared her own story of um, sexual abuse as a young girl and then taught some self-defense moves, which was epic, including how to break uh, an assailant's elbow, mm. which is like so cool. <laughs> I was just like, if you haven't been to a church event where you learn how to break an assailant's elbow, fabulous. hasn't been church. So, can um, you do it on CJ right now? That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> we, just, and we, don't, we won't be able to see it, but we can hear it. Just do right. like cracking noises. Of, yeah, the breaking of the elbow bone. Right. <laughs> and, but actually what she shared at that, which was really mind-boggling, was she said that the first line of self-defense is your voice. 
And, you know, that was such a powerful thing because it's what sexual abuse, one in three girls in America. So this isn't just a marginalized problem. This is like a massive problem. One in three girls in America are being sexually abused. And the first thing that goes when you're sexually abused is your ability to speak about it to anybody. So this MMA fighter, you know, like with like, you know, crushed knuckles and like just taught us how to like break the elbow of an assailant is talking about how her own voice was taken from her you know, and how she found it again. And then we taught phrases to the girl. So they repeat back these phrases that you can use when you're in uncomfortable situations, you know. And just, I mean, it was just off the charts amazing. And then that they had 200 volunteers in the volunteers. I mean, just, and like I said in this last, they were coming alive. You could see, you know, just everything making sense about what the gospel is, about why they're following Jesus, about how they got here, about how this matters to the world. It was just beautiful. It's powerful. I'm curious about, so we've got a lot of leaders that listen to this. A work like this has got to be uh, difficult. How do you stay motivated? How do you keep your batteries recharged? How do you, a big theme for us is healthy leaders and thriving churches. Just how do you stay motivated doing a work like this? Well, you know, I think it's a mixture of engagement. So like actual engagement. So staying in touch with the people you're called to. So one of the problems with like senior, that sort of upward mobility problem is you get more and more disengaged. And so eventually you're like going to the office every day and you never even, you know, met a sinner for 10 years, you know, like you're, or whatever. Right. So my capacity now is to try to help other leaders create programs. And so you become disconnected from the very people that actually in, energize you. So I always say to leaders who are, whatever your calling is, stay connected. That means you've just become a volunteer. Literally, like actually go out of your way to not do the job and go volunteer somewhere to help after school or, you know, whatever, whatever it is you're called to. So I just feel like that engagement piece is really key because the thing that saps your energy is the disengagement. That's what kills a leader. So engagement's key. And then I would also say there's this beautiful book uh, by Richard Rohr called Dancing, Standing Still. And it talks about the connection between contemplative prayer and social action. And he describes it like this. He describes, I mean, contemplative prayer, if you're scared of it, it's really just prayer where you're listening instead of speaking. So it's about creating space in your life to just be with God and just allow God to speak to you, to energize you, to renew you, you know. So if you're scared of that, don't be scared of that. But he talks about it as a leverage, which was really interesting to me. If you have a chance to read that book, it's fascinating, where he says, well, you're trying to move something heavier than you, which is probably the definition of ministry. <laughs> you're trying to move something heavier than you. And you can try and try and try and try with all your might. You're not going to move it a bit. But if you can create some leverage, right, you can actually move things that are way heavier than you, like 10 times heavier than you because you've got leverage. And he likens prayer, that kind of prayer that's not active, like talking, but the prayer that's active listening and presence-based prayer as a leverage for movement. And I think for me, that's really rung true. So good. Any departing inspiration or, uh, you know, what, what's front of mind for you right now as we wrap up? What would be your charge, challenge to leaders listening? And these are leaders from all over, whether they're working in a local church or nonprofit or in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really this idea of constant renewal. Uh, and this is new for me, and it's a discovery for me, which has been really beautiful. So I come out of a life of addiction, and I um, have re I've started using the 12 steps as like a, a spiritual direction 
So really intentionally like diving in, not just going like, yeah, 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 we all admit our need and blah, 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 but really diving in. And it's just been one of a season of such personal growth and um, development. And I feel like the Lord, God's really inviting everybody into this renewal process all the time. And that's been a kind of a discovery for me because I think we're really good at like going on to the next thing, like a checklist as though our spiritual lives are like, you know, I learned how to pray, check, mm-hmm. you know, like I read my Bible, check, I like, you know, whatever. And I just feel like it's not a check. It's literally like a lifestyle and then it's a renewable thing. So it keeps getting deeper, better, wider, but not in a human way. Bigger is not better in the kingdom. So, but it's getting wider, which sometimes means smaller at the same time. But it's this beautiful invitation of renewal. Um, those are the things I'm I'm after right now. Danielle, you are one of the the most powerful communicators uh, in the world, Ooh, for real. Thank you. Uh, and you're also a great author. So, just as a as a recommendation from the host of this of this podcast, whatever you write should be read, and whatever you speak should be listened to. And thanks for being a voice that is challenging us. Um, on all kinds of issues, but especially as it relates to the poor and the marginalized. Uh, you're you're out there on the cutting edge and fighting the fight. So we want to stand with you. And what's the best way for people to stay in touch with you? I'm guessing probably, website, social yeah, media. Yeah, daniellestrickland.com. It's probably the easiest uh, way to do that. Well, it's great to have you here at Thrive. Right. We'll hope to have you back soon. It's fantastic. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Appreciate it. Good stuff there. Daniel Strickland again. Wow. Super good, man. I love her passion her focus. This lady, you just don't mess around with someone like Danielle. I love it. Her website is daniellestrickland.com. Danielle with two L's. D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E. It's important. Strickland, S-T-R-I-C-K-L-A-N-D.com. You can also follow her on Twitter. DJ Strickland is her Twitter handle. She also has a new book out. The Ultimate Exodus, Finding Freedom from What Enslaves You. Go buy her book. She's a friend of Thrive, and now she is a part of the community. So we want to support her in what she's doing. Yeah. My question is, is, you know, when we're challenged by somebody like Danielle, who's living this out, what do we do? Because I think we're all moved at this point. We all say, hey, I'm raising my hand. I want to be involved. I want to make a difference. What are the practical things that maybe what our church should be doing, what we as leaders can do? And I think Danielle, you know, she goes into some really practical steps churches can get involved just by participating in a conference. That may be the first step for you. From there, you know, it sounds like there's all kinds of other things that you can do to get involved. And so I love that she focused us not on the uh, scope of all the things that you may need to do, but just the importance of just taking one step. Yeah. And she also mentioned this brave gathering that she is starting up. Uh, She mentioned she had done it at Mariner's Church and get in touch with Danielle. I mean, I'm sure she would love to partner with you on bringing that to your church or your community, because this is another way that you can not just have her come speak and inspire your congregation or your organization, but also you can help her accomplish her goals, which is to lift so many of these teenagers, these tweeners, you know, the 11, 12, 13 year olds. I mean, one of the things that she said, which is so powerful is that so many foster care kids, especially girls, around the age of 12 or 13 are targets yeah. and they're and they're being intentionally moved into right. the trafficking the sex industry and and that's something we can stop yes. you know that's something when you look at that issue that problem that is something we can do something about see and she was saying if the predators are targeting them right. then the church can target them exactly so i love that stay in touch with danielle check her out online follow her get involved with what she's doing cj you are basically at a place now in your leadership. 
I'm going somewhere with this. Okay. As we wrap up this episode, okay. you're in a place now with your leadership where you're in a chair that you're leading something. Yes. You're not the guy on the rise trying to figure out like how to lead up. And you do lead up in certain places. As we close out, I just want you to challenge our community as it relates to so many big issues. Because Danielle is bringing us one really big issue, which is injustice. Mm -hmm. So the practical side of sitting in the chair of influence and impact, you know, you're in charge of something, you have your own organization, you're an entrepreneur. What do you do with this? What's the step that you're going to take after hearing her? And then I'll maybe give my comments, but I wanted to let you have the final word of sure. not just as a person who is inspired by Daniel, but like now your organization, yeah. you know, what can you do? That's a really good question. I couldn't help but think as I was hearing her talk, something that comes to mind often when I'm faced with these types of things, which is do for one. Hmm. What can my organization do to stop the whole thing? I don't know, probably not much, but we can do for one. We can do for one person, one organization, we can help. And I think the steps that we're gonna take, I mean, it'd be totally transparent is one, I wanna see if there's anything that our company that has skills in particular area can just offer up and just come alongside them and just see if there are ways for us to help at that level. I know our staff would be uh, invigorated by the idea of adding their talents to a cause like this. Yeah, I mean, you and Danielle were actually talking we about the interview talking, about, yeah. hey, what would it look like if Bamboo was actually helping right. in some way designing an app or a piece of the technology that Danielle's trying to launch with this new brave movement? Yeah, exactly. You know, and then I think there are relationships and other things for us to leverage and connect just to make sure she's getting as much visibility as possible. So, I mean, those are a couple things off the top of my head. I mean, there's obviously the things like financial and other stuff like that too, but those are probably the big ways that I think come Monday morning, you know, we're gonna look at. It's good. I would add too that just leveraging our, our voices and any kind of social media influence you have, all of us have some amount of followers, whether it's very few or it's, you know, hundreds of thousands. Yeah. And I think the, the more that we can raise the banner of injustice and your churches should be doing this, you personally should be doing this through your outlets, but it takes all of us to raise that banner. Yeah. And people like Danielle, like people like Christine Kane, people like Gary Haugen at International Justice Mission, people like Bob Goff, they're all moving forward. And so our job is to get behind them. Right. And many times just push from behind or pull alongside them or, you know, even pull from the front. But that's what I think I'm taking away is I want to be aware, but I also then want to leverage my voice in whatever best way I can to continue to just raise the banner on this issue. So thanks for being a part of this episode. Again, check us out, thriveconference.org. You can email us, podcast at thriveconference.org. Email us, peeps. Yeah, Let and, us know and, what you're thinking. And if you're not in the email, then just go ahead and send us a fax. And you can send that to uh, jspj22 at underscore 12. At geocities. Yes, at samsung.org. <laughs> we love you. Thanks for being on the journey with us. Until next time, this is the Thrive Leadership Podcast. The Thrive Leadership Podcast is hosted by CJ Alvarado and Brad Lominick and is produced by Kip Johns. To download and share this and other Thrive podcasts, go to thriveconference.org.